Chapter 19 of Baseball Joe in the Central League by Lester Chadwick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Donald Cummings. Chapter 19 A New Hold. What, what all am the matter, Massa Matson? asked the colored lad, his eyes bulging and showing so much white that the rest of his face seemed a shade or two darker. What all am the matter? Ain't you all put out bout me takin' dish year tie? I didn't go forth steal it, sir. Deed and I didn't. I was just sort of borrowing it for to wear at a party I gwine to attend to see, but then. Put out about you, laughed Joe. Indeed I'm not. But don't say you're going to borrow that tie, and he pointed to the one that the lad had tried unsuccessfully to conceal. It was a very gaudy hue, broad stripes and prominent dots. Don't say you were going to borrow it. Deed and that's all I gwine to do, Massa Matson. I didn't go for to take it for keeps. I was gwine to ask y'all for the lend of it, but I thought maybe y'all wasn't coming in time, so I just made up my mind to appropriate it on my own lookout, and I was fixin' to put it back for y'all come in. I won't hurt it, deed and I won't, and I'll bring y'all ice water any time y'all wants it. Uh I'd like mighty much, my Matson, to buy this year tie off y'all. Buy it, cried Joe, still laughing, though it was evident that the colored lad could not understand why. Well, sir, that is, not exactly buy it, case I ain't got no money. But y'all needn't give me no tips, sir, uh, for, for a long time, and I could buy it that way. Yes, sir, you needn't give me no tips for two weeks. And y'all is so generous, my Matson that in two weeks' time I'd have this tie paid for. It's a mighty per tie. It sure am. He gazed admiringly at it. Take it for the love of Marsh, cried Joe. I'm glad you have it. Yo, I'm glad, Master Matson, repeated the lad, as though he had not heard aright. Sure, that tie's been a nightmare to me ever since I bought it. I don't know what possessed me to buy a cross-section of the rainbow in the shape of a scarf, but I did it in a moment of aberration, I reckon. Take it away, Sam, and never let me see it again. Does y'all really mean that? Certainly. Well, sir, I thanks y'all for the compliment. I sure does. And y'all ain't vexed with me? Not at all. And, and y'all won't stop giving me tips? No, Sam. Golly, that's fine. I sure thank you mightily, sir. When all them otter coons open their eyes when they sees me sportin' this yet tie. Yum, yum. I guess so. And Sam bounced out of the room before Joe might possibly change his mind. The colored lad nearly ran into Charlie Hall, who was coming to have his usual chat with Joe. And the shortstop, seeing the tie dangling from the bellboy's hand, guessed what had happened. Was he making free with your things, Joe? asked Charlie, when Sam had disappeared around a corner of the hall. Oh, I caught him taking my tie, that's all. Yes, I did the same thing to one of the boys on my floor the other day. I gave him a flea in his ear, too. And I gave Sam the tie, laughed Joe. You gave it to him? Yes, that thing has been haunting me. I never wore it but once, and I got disgusted with it. Joe failed to state that Mabel had showed a dislike for the scarf, and that it was her implied opinion that had turned him against it. You see, the young pitcher went on, 
I didn't know just which of the fellows to give it to, and two or three times I left it in my hotel room when we traveled on. Every blame time some chambermaid would find it and give it to the clerk, and he'd forward it to me. That monstrosity of a scarf has been following me all over the circuit. I was getting ready to heave it down some sewer hole when I came in to find Sam borrowing it. I had to laugh, and I guess he thought I was crazy. Anyhow, he's got the tie, and I've gotten rid of it. So we're both satisfied. Well, that's a good way to look at it. How are things anyhow? They might, by a strain, be worse, answered Joe a bit gloomily. The game that day had been a hard one, and Gregory had used a string of three pitchers and had only been able to stop the winning streak of Buffington. Joe had been taken out after twirling for a few innings. Yes, we didn't do ourselves very proud, agreed Charlie, and tomorrow we're likely to be dumped. Our record won't stand much of that sort of thing. Indeed it won't, Charlie. I've got to do something, burst out Joe. What is it? I can't see but what you're doing your best. My hardest, maybe, but not my best. You see, this league pitching is different from a college game. I didn't stop to figure out that I'd have to pitch a deal oftener than when I was at Yale. This is business. The other was fun. You're tired, I guess. That's it. I'm played out. Why don't you take a vacation? Or ask Gregory not to work you so often? Can't take any time off, Charlie. I need the money. As for playing the baby act, I couldn't do that either. No, I reckon not. But what are you going to do? Hanged if I know. But I've got to do something to get back into form. We're going down. I know it. Has Gregory said anything? No, he's been awfully decent about it. But I know he must think a lot. Yes, something's got to be done. Joe was rather gloomy, nor was Charlie in any too good spirits. In fact, the whole team was in the dumps, and when they lost the next game, they were deeper in than ever. Some of the papers began running headlines, Pittston loses again. It was galling. Jimmy Mack worked hard. So did Gregory. And he and trainer McGuire devised all sorts of plans to get the team back in form again. But nothing seemed to answer. The Pittstons dropped to the rear of the first division, and only clung there by desperate work and by poor playing on the part of other teams. In all those bitter, dreary days there were some bright spots for Joe, and he treasured them greatly. One was that his father was no worse, though the matter of the operation was not definitely settled. Another was that he heard occasionally from Mabel. Her letters were a source of joy to him. Thirdly, old Pop Dutton seemed to be making good. He kept steadily at work, and had begun to do some real baseball practice. Joe wrote to him, and his letters were answered promptly. Even cynical Gregory admitted that perhaps, after all, the former star pitcher might come into his own again. "'When will you give him a trial?' asked Joe eagerly. "'Oh, some day. I'll put him in the field when we're sure of an easy game.' The time came when the tail-enders of the league arrived for a series of contests with Pittston, and Pop Dutton, to his delight, was allowed to play. There was nothing remarkable about it, but he made no errors, and once, taking a rather desperate chance on a long fly, he beat it out and retired the batter. He was roundly applauded for this, and it must have warmed his heart to feel that once more he was on the road he had left so long before. But coming back was not easy work. Joe realized this, 
and he knew the old pitcher must have had a hard struggle to keep on the narrow path he had marked out for himself. But Joe's influence was a great help. Dutton said so often. The other players, now that they found their former mate was not bothering them, begging money, or asking for loans, took more kindly to him. But few believed he could come back in the full meaning of the words. "'He may be a fairly good fielder, and his batting average may be mine,' said Tooley but he'll never be the iron man he once was. And nearly all agreed with him. Joe was faithful to his protege. Often the two would saunter out to some quiet place and there pitch and catch for each other. And Joe's trained eye told him that the other's hand had lost little of its former cunning. Meanwhile, the fortunes of Pittston did not improve much. Sometimes they would struggle to second place, only to slip back again while victorious Clevefield held her place at the top. There was only one consolation. Pittston did not drop out of the first division. She never got lower than fourth. Joe was being used less and less on the pitching mound, and his heart was sore. He knew he could make good if only something would happen to give him back his nerve, or a certain something he lacked. But he could not understand what. Properly enough, it was Pop Dutton who put him on the right track. The two were pitching and catching one day, when Joe delivered what he had always called a fadeaway ball, made famous by Mathewson of the New York Giants. As it sailed into Pop's big mitt, the veteran called, "'What was that, Joe?' "'Fadeaway, of course.' "'Show me how you hold the ball when you throw it.' Joe did so. The old pitcher studied a moment, and then said, "'Joe, you've got it wrong. Have you been pitching that way all the while?' always no wonder they have been hitting you let me show you something stand behind me the old pitcher threw at the fence joe was amazed at the way the ball behaved it would have puzzled the best of batters how did you do it asked joe wonderingly by using a different control and holding the ball differently i'll show you you need a new hold end of chapter nineteen